Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan, aka the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, aka the Chimerican. And on this episode is a very special guest, Mallory O'Meara, not ah, O'Meara. Thanks for having me. But thanks for being here. We are really excited about this. Yeah, this was really, really cool to be here in Chattanooga. I've never been here before. The film festival's amazing and getting to talk to other film fans and horror fans is just wicked cool it's the best part have you had a chance to see any movies yet or have no. you mostly just been doing the doing the press thing yeah, yeah. i haven't got to see it's a our single fault. movie it's, <laughs> it's <fine>. our fault <laughs> it's fine it's fine we're part of the problem yes you are at least going to be at uh, creature from the black lagoon correct yeah i'm introing it which is cool awesome yeah, so Mallory here, you have written a book called The Lady from the Black Lagoon, and it is fantastic. Uh, I did not actually read it because you read it to me. I listened to it on Audible. I did all the hard um, work for so you. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm lazy. Well, I'm actually not lazy. I just don't have time. So I usually just listen to things on my commute. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm going to start like kind of in the middle here, which is really weird. But one of the things I love the most about your book is like how you kind of slowly discover some interesting ways that uh, Millicent Patrick has kind of like weaved into your life in ways that you didn't even realize. And like when you talk about how you discovered that when she was an animator at Disney, um, that she um, animated the Chernobog sequence um, and that how like when you were a kid, that was like one of the things that made you fall in love with movies um, that literally gave me chills. So I, I can't imagine like tell us a little bit about how you felt whenever you figured this out. Like it must have been just my jaw literally an, dropped an open. incredibly emotional experience. Yeah. Yeah. Finding out that I mean. Millicent designed Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is alone so worthy of people knowing who she is and knowing her story and making her my personal hero. But finding out that she also did, she's like the Forrest Gump of the 1950s. She did so many other things. You know, she grew up at Hearst Castle. She animated for Disney. And finding out that she worked on Chernabog, like, I don't even 100% remember that moment because it was just like everything in the room went quiet. And I was just like, holy crow. Like, she's the queen she's the queen for me she's the queen of monsters and just knowing that she was that good at what she did and had that much of an effect on film in so many different areas was mind-blowing mm. um along with that like when when you were talking about how yesterday i think it was yesterday day before whenever it was when you were giving your talk um and you were talking about how it's kind of like uh, julia and julia uh, it was really funny because like we had said that when we were uh, previewing the book or when we talked about it on the podcast and it's like it feels like julia and julia but with monsters rather than cookbooks um like i know that you talked about the reason that you included some of your personal experiences and some of your life story is to show this is still happening like this is something that uh, the women still experience it is still a very patriarchal society men are still assholes how much of the book um, and how much of that process was cathartic for you in terms of like actually being able to work through some stuff in terms of like this is vitally important to me and not just it's important that the story be told? Does it does that? Yeah, okay. uh, it was incredibly cathartic because I think one of the reasons why stuff like this has been allowed to continue for so long is that we give it a pass like, oh, that's just how things were. That's just how things are. And being able to write a book in my own voice and be able to say, no, this stuff sucks. Let's make fun of it. Let's get angry at it. Let's really, yeah, it happened in the 1950s. People still had morals in the 1950s. People knew things were wrong. People know things are wrong now. Like being able to drag it out into the light 
and really just work through it on the page and be able to be mad about it felt so, so good. Because for so long, so many of us, you know, you're in these garbage situations like Millicent was in where people have stolen your credit or someone you work for sucks and you can't say anything. So you have to, you know, tamp it down and it's just allowed to continue because no one wants to say anything. So being able to say something was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously like the creature is timeless. You know, the fact that this wasn't a modern movie or it wasn't a modern story that got you so connected to it and being able to to look back and discover, yes, this has been happening. It's still happening. And finding Millicent as that sort of like, you know, beacon on a hill that you're shining the light that's guiding you. And I feel like has had a pretty profound impact on just who you are as a person. Who do you think, um, or you know, what do you think might be maybe some modern examples of that? In terms of, do you think there is anything like that happening today? In terms of, um, you know, maybe someone working in the industry that is going to be that shining light for someone else. Oh, for sure. There's so many great female filmmakers who are working right now, like Ava DuVernay, Patty mm. Jenkins. You know, there's so many great women who are going out and just blazing trails, and I think are inspiring a lot of young women to get into the field. If Millicent hadn't been fired and uh, just kind of disappeared into history, where do you think her career would have gone? I think she would have continued to co- to design great monsters at Universal. That's the thing is Universal didn't stop making monster movies after Millicent Patrick was fired. They made a bunch of them, and not all of them were very good. I truly, truly think that Millicent would have continued to make her mark and made some really iconic monsters there. And I think that maybe Universal's run, because Universal never had another big hit monster wise until jaws you know that all the rest of those 1950s movies that universal did were like okay i mean this island earth was great but millicent also worked on that after her influence left there was a big dip in the quality of design that was coming out of that monster shop so i think it would have helped universal and i also think it would have made a big difference for women working in the industry you know being able to see her she would have been able to have more of an influence and we would have more cool monsters so related to that, I absolutely love The Creature. It is probably my favorite Universal Monster movie. I, I've loved it ever since I was a kid. Uh, I got to meet Rico Browning a few years ago, which was amazing. And so like, as soon as uh, it was announced that you were going to be here, uh, the title of your book was Lady from the Black Lagoon. I was like, pre-order. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> loved it. Um, but like, in regards to The Creature... When you were talking about it, you were saying how there's so many unique things about it. You know, it's not something that's based off of uh, gothic novels. It's not something that has been reused and reused and reused. Like, there are just so many unique things about the creature. But it's not the most famous. It's not the one that people typically think of. In fact, usually if you look at uh, a lot of people talking about how much they love Universal Monsters, somehow that one gets left off. Yeah. With it being so unique and with it being just so groundbreaking... Why do you think that it hasn't been, why do you think it's not gained as much fame and notoriety as some of the other monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein and Wolfman? It's never been remade. It's the only big universal monster franchise that's never gotten remade or rebooted. There's only one creature. I mean, you can count Shape of Water if you want, but it's not a universal monster movie. You know, how many Frankenstein movies do we have? How many Dracula movies? We even have Phantoms, Invisible Man movies. Like, we have everything. We even got to see The Bride again and Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein with Robert De Niro. We've never gotten another creature. So he has still achieved the notoriety that he has just off of three the three original movies that were made. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that movie. And I love how just like, I love that the creature isn't the monster. 
Yeah, he's you know? not the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's the one that you're rooting for. Yes, for sure. Yeah, last time that I watched it, I was just like, the people are the worst. Yes, can you imagine hanging out in your nice lagoon and then these <laughs> fucking... Oh, no shit. Oh. <laughs> you're hanging out in your nice lagoon and these people bust in and they throw their garbage in your water and they're shooting you and they, they roofie you and like... Right? Yeah, it's pretty screwed up. So I... And like, that's why I think Shape of Water is so cool because it really takes that idea to the moon you know really paints the creature as the hero and the the villain is the you know the garbage guy have you uh have you read the uh novelization that daniel krauss did for the shape of water it's really interesting they actually there's um a prologue to the book that is essentially just um creature from the black lagoon like it's uh, basically it kind of posits that the shape of water is a sequel to the creature from the black lagoon i mean essentially it kind of is yeah but they they go into a little bit more about uh michael shannon's character like actually capturing the creature Mm -hmm. and it's really phenomenal like i absolutely love the book it was i think they guillermo del toro and kraus basically came up with the concept at the same time and then kraus did the book and del toro did the movie but yeah i love it um so speaking of movies let's say that um the lady from the black lagoon hypothetically if there was a biopic of your book do you have any dream cast and crew people that you would be interested in having or can you okay okay i can't talk about it all right just okay uh so you've talked about uh, just in various interviews that you've done and during your talk about like how much horror has influenced you and like you've always been kind of a horror fan and then when you found out that Millicent was the one who designed the creature like that was even more exciting. Yes. Why do you think horror is so influential? Like what about horror kind of captured you and made you say, oh, this is something that I want to do with my life and this is how it's going to shape all of my passions and just have, why do you think it's so influential? What what really drew me in is, so I'm an anxious person. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I go to therapy every two weeks. I'm just a very anxious person. And for me, horror is the most cathartic thing in the world. It was when the first time I watched Fantasia, for me, it was like an anxiety vacation because it was the first time I got to be scared of something that wasn't real. And it it was the first time that my fear got to end. And it felt so great to just like go through because when you have anxiety and you're a stressed out person, you're like caught in this same like stress stasis but a horror movie takes you through that entire cycle you know and by the end hopefully if it has there's a happy ending you have a little you have a catharsis moment that you don't get in your normal life especially if you're stressed out about your work work doesn't end until you're dead and so i got really into it from an emotional standpoint and then i just fell in love with it i mean monsters and horror is the oldest stories that we have from like beowulf you know it's how we explore our society it's how we explore ourselves it's how we figure out our ourselves so while i mean on the surface level like monsters are just cool like i love them but at the same time they're i think they're the most important fun influential stories that we can tell and as i got older i realized that horror because mainstream media really doesn't take horror very seriously it gives you a great license to do whatever you want and to you know to do like Jordan Peele has just done with us and tell these really important political stories. And people are like, oh, it's a horror movie. I'm like, no, this is like maybe the most important movie of the year. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's really the, the like the most free place when it comes to storytelling. And yeah, I just, I just fell in love with the genre and I never fell out of it. So uh, we're geeks and we love doing things where pretty much we turn everything into horror because horror is amazing. Yes. And so one of the things that I like to do is talk about movies that are so obviously not horror movies, like Home Alone, 
that are totally horror movies. Oh, Home Alone is totally a horror movie. It is a home invasion so, horror movie. Right. Yeah, as a parent, especially as a parent, just like for me watching it again this last time, because I hadn't watched it since I was a kid, but I watched it recently and I have kids and I was like, that is the most horrifying thing to me is imagining my child being home alone and I can't get to them. So yep. on, it works on so many levels, I think, as a horror movie. Oh, for sure. Well, also, I mean, horror really, horror and comedy are, are the same operating system. It's just all about perspective. So there's a lot of comedy comedy movies that are if you just change the soundtrack is a horror yeah. movie you know uh, what are some movies that you can think of that would kind of fit that in terms of like not a horror but totally a horror movie what about bob yeah it's another like i'm really sensitive to home invasion stuff or like people bothering you that is like straight up you put you put some werewolf makeup on him and that's a horror movie for sure there's a lot of really really funny like 80s comedies like that that are straight up like if you look at if you like especially now when you we watch some old movies we look back and we're like oh my god that was really bad <laughs> yeah. you just put that some was not an okay thing to do yeah, yeah we let's just put if you put some ominous music over that stuff terrifying yeah there are terrifying. tons of there are tons of comedies especially that i think i cringe out much harder than i do a lot of horror movies oh yeah for sure for sure like the office i think especially the first season of the office that's when we're like i don't think i could ever watch it again because i just cringe so hard like that's more horrifying to me than so many horror movies or like a lot of romantic comedies too yeah. you know that those guys holding boom boxes are like just a hop skip and a jump away from jason you know you put a mask on him looming outside your window <laughs> really really close i really want to see a a, a a slasher movie starring lloyd dobler now <laughs> yes paul rudd i'm pretty oh. sure that like you wouldn't even have to go that far like i think that his life fell so far uh just fell apart so hard that like okay they left and got married question mark and yeah then he turned into a serial killer pretty sure that's exactly what happened oh yeah well there's a i mean especially in like 90s romantic comedies and like late 80s there was a like tropes about like you know it's the pretty girl and the nerdy dude and if he just pursues her hard enough and follows oh, her yes. around and give it like that like it's basically encouraging stalking behavior you just put a hockey mask on him uh, that's you got you know jason 15 yeah we talk about this a lot on our podcast where we're like you know there are some horror movies we would let our children watch well before we let them watch some of these like romantic comedies that were pushed out especially like in the 90s and early yeah. 2000s like they're really bad yeah and like at the time it was supposed okay so when the when those movies came out it was very much like oh this is why you need to have confidence in yourself and this is why you know if you just overcome whatever it is like you know you're going to be successful that's how it was marketed but going back and rewatching it it's just it is only about guys it is never yeah. it's never like how yeah, she it, feels being followed around constantly exactly. again it's the horror comedy perspective switch if you have it from her perspective you know you're a teenage girl you're in your bedroom you're trying to go to bed and there's some creepy guy mm. outside your window hanging off a tree like that's terrifying <laughs> so scary i would murder him that's like you get out the shotgun I, I think that you should do a line of films where it's just like 80s romantic comedies the, from the female horror perspective. Yes. Oh, that's there's the final girls for you. <laughs> yeah, that, it's funny. It's because it's really perspective sh shifts change a movie so, so much. And um, especially with some of these comedies that like you're laughing, but then you're kind of like, oh, wait, that's weird. That's a little that's a little screwed up. <laughs> 
And like, that's something that we've talked about before. Just like one of the things that we love so much about horror is it shines a light sometimes on what's wrong. And like people talk about like, oh, horror movies, they're so bad because it's glorifying violence. It's like, no, it's saying that these bad things are bad. Like when someone is stalking you, like they show it as this is a bad thing to do. And I, I don't know, I just that's one of the things that I love so much about horror is how it does have that perspective shift and it shows you violence is bad. Violence is not something that you should be like, yay, let's go root for James Bond as he runs around killing people. I love James Bond, but even so. But that's the thing is there's so many, there's a lot of violent movies that aren't horror movies. Again, James Bond is a great example. And also like the per- kind of person that walks out of a horror movie that's like, yay, I want to stab and murder people. It's going to be like that without the horror movie. Yeah. They were like that before they went into the horror movie. Seriously. And I I just don't, I really, really have a hard time when people blame metal or they blame horror for glorifying this stuff. Because again, it's not, no, no, like most of the time you're watching this movie and you're like, you're not like, yeah, I want to do that. I, I like, this looks like a fun time. You're showing a scary thing. And you're, more importantly, you're showing people how to get through a scary thing, which yeah. a lot of movie, other movies don't do. Mm-hmm. A lot of Stephen King movies also don't do. <laughs> they get to the end and they just end. Um, yeah, Stephen King gets to the end and then just, he just throws gets it tired. up. In, he just throws the keyboard up in the air. <laughs> just get this like, all right, I'm done with words. Just, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of horror movies, um, what is your horror movie baseline? Like, not necessarily what's the scariest, not what's your favorite, not what's the most amazing, but like, what is that one horror movie that you judge all other horror movies against? Ooh. I have a few because I have a couple different pantheons. Mm-hmm. It's like my favorite horror movies are all like special effects classics. So that would be stuff like The Exorcist. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, things like that that are just so, such gorgeous pieces of art. And then the other side is werewolf stuff because I love werewolf movies and I'm a little less objective about those movies because I just <laughs> love anything. Uh, my favorite is American Werewolf in London just because every other, I feel like Rick Baker made his mark on the world and every single transformation scene is judged by that one and no one will ever get there no one i don't i would love to see somebody do another transformation scene that was all practical like that but that's like that is the that is the standard by which all werewolf movies are judged Mm -hmm. even though i will say it has the best transformation scene in the least sexy sex scene (laughs) gotta do better john landis not sexy i also love that the soundtrack is all just songs with moon in the title too yes. just like yeah just throw some moon shit in there i don't know whatever oh that's why bad moon rising by credence is my favorite song <laughs> i love that song i mean credence is my favorite band too but oh they're they're great oh, i love yeah. them. the soundtrack's a little too on the nose oh it's so good so i'm surprised that you didn't use werewolves in london was that song out when that movie came out uh, I, w- the, I, I don't know if it was or not. I, I, I want to like say was, yes, because that was in the 70s, wasn't it? I thought it was like 81. American Marvel from London was 81. Wasn't yeah. It? Yeah, I feel like it was like around the same time. Yeah. Maybe he wrote the song because of the movie. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. But yeah, those, so those two pantheons are which are by which everything is judged. Mm. I have one more question, but do you have any more? Um, I had one and I forgot. I don't write things down, so that's and I'm forgetful. So I'm, I'll, you can come back to me. 
<laughs> You're the worst. All right. So if you can go back in time and like during your formative years in terms of like when movies really started having an impact on you, since we're at the chat film fest, what would like a 10 year old you uh, make a film fest of based on those formative years? Oh, the, so if 10 year old Mallory is making movies that were only out back then. Yeah. So like if you can go back in time, just like this is the film fest that like defines who you are. So like if people said, it, it's basically just a take on uh, Elric's handshake question of like, you know, what are your handshake films, the five films that kind of define you, okay. but limiting it more towards what are those early formative movies? And, you know, it doesn't just have to be movies. Like you can be like, oh, you know, I, I used to love this old radio show. Oh, I got or I used movies. to love this. Okay. I got tons of movies. So for my, for, the formative, how to, how to make a Mallory brain, 10 year old Mallory. Oh, uh, okay. Creep show, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fellowship is the best of the trilogy. I oh, think I I, I've seen it so many times, and I've only seen the other two like a few times. So so good. Uh, the Thing, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist, American Werewolf in London. It's good films. Hell yeah, we'd have a great time. I think I also say Creepshow, not because it's the best movie, but because Creepshow was what really got me into horror movies. Because I don't know if listeners remember, but and I I don't remember because I wasn't alive when it happened. But when Creepshow came out, they gave out these comic books that to go with the movie, and that was I found that my mom had one in our house when I was really young, and I read it and like was way too young to be reading it, but I like the crate broke my brain open and I loved it so much. And then I started reading goosebump books and I started wanting to watch horror movies after that. And so getting to see creep show, which is a great like, like starter film for mm-hmm. kids, you know, it's silly. And then like, you know, Leslie Nielsen's in it. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, so fun. Yeah. yeah, but Leslie Nielsen isn't it as like fun, quirky Leslie Nielsen. Well, that's cool about He's it. He's straight up murdering, a slowly murdering a dude. Yes, and it is bizarre. One thing I find very fascinating is we've asked this question in three different interviews and Creepshow has come up in all three of them. I think has it's a, it? I think it's I, a I good it formative kid, kid movie. Brian said something about Creepshow. Right? Oh. I thought he did. Anyway. I definitely think it's a great, especially because the... A lot of the imagery from the film is so colorful mm-hmm. that it's definitely a good like, ooh, a kid would want to watch this. Yeah, it seems like good gateway horror. I yeah, think. and it's I feel like parents feel like it's okay because like I mean one of the one of the shorts is like a guy who gets eaten by moss. Like <laughs> it's not te- it's it's not like really too much at least for kids. It's a great great starter movie. Um, okay, so I remember the question that I had. I was just trying to think of the way to phrase it. Um, so um, for Nathan and I, social justice is something that's very near and dear to our heart, heart uh, hearts collectively. Um, and it's one of the things that I absolutely love about your book is just like seeing things from your perspective. We try to be very aware of the fact that we are two white guys talking about social justice. So what are some things that you think that we should keep in mind whenever we're talking about things that we have not personally experienced, like ways that we can be active and progressive um, and also just 
I don't know. I mean, just like, what are things that we need to keep in mind whenever we're talking about this stuff on our podcast? Just asking that question, really, it's really about being aware of things. For so long, everybody wasn't aware of that they could, things could be different, you know? Everybody, you know, every protagonist was a white dude. Like, you just accepted it. But being conscious and being cognizant of those things that like, hey, you know, this, this this is a room full of room full of people and we're all white dudes like just being aware of those things really really makes the biggest difference and i do it as a white woman as much as i can now where i'm like wow i just saw a bunch of movies none of them had black people in them maybe i should change that you know i i just read uh, when's the last time i read a book by a gay author like it really it's all about it's not about being defensive and about everyone like the whole world getting upended it's about being aware and we can all really make a lot of change by, you know, voting with our dollars and like being cognizant of those things. And like, you know, you are two people in media, just like, let's, we should have a woman on the podcast. Just like being, it's, it's all those little tiny decisions. It's not like one big catastrophic thing that everyone needs to do. It's just being aware. You know, I'm constantly trying to, to cultivate that in myself and, you know, like, just recently I realized, uh, you know, my house is not very like disabled people friendly. Mm -hmm. And I realized that there was no way for someone who's a wheelchair user to get into my house. And it's just like thinking about things like that. Like, oh, if I, uh, like I have a really close friend that's a wheelchair user. I'm like, oh, if they want to come visit me, like, what are we going to do? You know, it's always just being considerate and it's, uh, it feels like, you know, people get really defensive and they're like, oh, well, everything's changing and I got to make all these changes. It's like, no, you don't. You just have to just think about things a little bit. That's just all you got to do. It really is just, you know, and we all, we all screw up. That's the other thing too, is that, you know, we all make mistakes. I do it constantly, but it's just about moving forward and like not doubling down and getting mad and just like, you know what? Yeah, I screwed up. Like I'm going to fix it and it's okay. Yeah. And it's, it's not an easy thing to fix. I mean, like there, there's so much that needs to be done that sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Yes. But there are a lot of like social norms, I think, especially like things that I come across a lot that I feel people think they're being considered when they're not like one thing, like I hear people say all the time, like, I don't see color. And I, that really bothers me because it's like, there's nothing wrong with seeing color. You're like you somebody's sh- per- personhood. Exactly. Like, so like I, I heard that being uttered at work the other day and I was just like, that's, that doesn't make you look any better. Like, I don't know. That's just one of those things that like that I feel like we need to be more aware of. Yeah. I actually had someone recently at an event tell me that they were, and they were trying, they were trying to be really nice. And they were like, yeah, I was really excited about your book. You know, like I don't see gender when I look at people, I just see how they are in their heart. And I'm like, and I didn't say to this, this, to this person, cause I was at an event and I was tired, but I'm like, you're erasing my identity. Yeah. Like, I want you to see a woman when you look at me, like that is where the place from which I navigate the world in which I create my art. If you erase my gender identity and in the perspective that I come at from things, you're erasing half of like what makes my work, my work, Yeah, you know? And what, what what people are really saying with that is that they're, they they have the luxury of not seeing yeah, color yeah. or gender or sexuality because they're probably white and straight and able bodied yeah. and can like don't have that luxury of walking through the world being safe all the time. You people of color and women and queer people don't have the luxury of not seeing those things because there are places in this country where it's not safe to be who we are. Or they are. Sorry, like I like those people. Like I get like, and I understand where some people they're trying. They're they're trying to be nice, 
but it's really, really harmful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I've had a conversation a lot with people who are like, I, I just can't watch the news anymore because, you know, I just get so tired of seeing whatever. And it's like, but that's why we have to keep watching yes. is because we have the luxury of turning off the news and not experiencing it. Yeah. So like it, some you have to, you know, practice self-care and obviously yeah, you don't, not don't go crazy. Yeah, you don't drive yourself insane. Yeah. But it's like every time that I start to get frustrated and think I have to turn off the news, it's like, I, no, I have to keep watching because I need to know more about what's going on so that I can be even more informed, so that I yeah. can be even more of an advocate, even more of an ally. You know, like I need to understand mm-hmm. because I don't have these experiences. Kind of on the flip side of that, or not really the flip side, but related to it, but in a way that hopefully is more optimistic and encouraging to people <laughs> rather than here, be overwhelmed because everything about life is miserable. What are some positive experiences? Like in terms of, you know, you talk about there's definitely a lot that was happening back in the 50s that's still going on today. You know, all of the sexism and racism and a lot of your own personal experiences that you've included in the book that are not cool. Um, not your experience. Not no, I know, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I'm not a fan. No, no, I'm not a fan. I, no, I know what you mean. So, like, do you have any positive experiences? Like, anything where it's like, whenever I would get discouraged, again, like, outside of Millicent, outside of just that entire pursuit that you were on, but, like, just other things, other people that have been like, you know what? Yeah, you're doing a great job, and, like, this is an amazing thing that you're doing, and embracing those parts of you rather than saying, oh, yeah, you know, it was okay for a woman, I guess. Like, yeah. you know, do you, do you have any of those positive experiences? I have so many positive experiences. That's the thing is that, like, I have such a great coven of female artists and filmmakers around me that we constantly support each other and it's the most wonderful thing and all of them are just killing it right now and doing so many cool things it is such an honor to be in their circle and just throughout the book while I was writing it and even now constantly there are moments even when things got tough but where people would be like no I really want to know Millicent's story you were the one to tell this this is going to be great you got this like friends who would introduce me to people that I needed to know for the book or people I wanted to interview or questions I needed help with you know there was it was such a group effort so many of my friends helped that helped out um one great experience i had was meeting up with and becoming friends with an author named mindy johnson and she wrote the book a giant tome of a book called ink and paint all about the women of disney's animation program from when it started until now and mindy and i uh, it was kind of like a chocolate in your peanut butter moment where when we were researching, so Mil- Mindy knew everything about Millicent Patrick's work at Disney, but she didn't know about the rest of her life. And I knew about the mes- rest of Millicent's life, but didn't know about what Millicent did at Disney. So the two of us uh, got together and swapped notes and really helped each other out. And she helped me on my book. I helped her on her books and in another book that she has coming out. And it's just women supporting other women, you know, and there's so much positivity and there's so much great stuff happening where I hate these like panels where it's like, oh, it sucks to be a woman in film. It's great to be a woman in film. We're not the problem. <laughs> what we're doing is awesome. It's the it's terrible to be a shitty dude in film. That, let's talk about that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's where the conversation needs to be because it's always like, oh, it's so hard for a woman. It's so hard for a woman. But it's like, or, you know, like people talk about, I need to make sure that my daughter knows how to be safe in these situations. Like, no. How about teach your sons not to f*** with my daughter? Oh, shit. Exactly. Uh, How about teach your sons not to screw with my daughter? (laughs) Yeah, there need to be more programs for that. Uh, All right. We have taken up a lot of your time. No, it's fine. 
Thank you so much for talking to us. Where can people uh, find either you on tour or uh, find more about you? Or like, I know that you have a podcast that I'm drawing a blank on right now. That Reading you do glasses. With, yes. yes. That you do with Brea Grant. Um, uh, yeah. So, you know, all of that shameless self-promotion that people do. If people are interested, MalloryOmero.com is where everything is. All It's all of my events are listed there under the events uh, pay part of my website. Uh, I spend way too much time on Twitter at Mallory O'Mara. I'm at Mallory O'Mara on all social media forms, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, if you want to listen to me talk about reading every week with my friend, Bria Grant, uh, reading glasses comes out every Thursday. We're on the maximum fun podcast network. And yeah, that's MalloryOmara.com is where you can check everything out. And where can they get your book? Uh, everywhere it's everywhere. on everywhere look in the garbage look in this <laughs> look in the look in a tree the squirrels have it it's everywhere uh you can uh, buy it on amazon barnes and noble your local independent bookstore can have it will have it or can order it for you it's on audible uh anywhere you buy books you can get lady from the black lagoon i want, I want to ask really quick that how has uh like how has it been since the book has been released like just how much like how much have people come up to you and talk to like talk to the book like how's the reception been the reception's been overwhelming it's been amazing people are really really loving it and they're so excited about her about Millicent's story and seeing so many people that are inspired by her and love her and just want to tell more people about her is the greatest thing in the world it's the greatest honor mm. Uh, I think that maybe you mentioned this or maybe you said that you can't mention it, but do you have, <laughs> so maybe, maybe the things, not the things that you can't mention, but other things, uh, are there any other like, you know, famous people that you want to, uh, that you want to cover or any yes. other? Okay. Can't tell you who they are though. Okay. But it's a, there's an, uh, another woman who worked on an even bigger monster than creature. Oh, Interesting. I'm on, and I can't tell you what it's fascinating. Yep. Well, I'm I'm really thrilled to hear that like the reception's been so positive. And it's been all on some bestseller lists. I, yeah, I, I, I had, I've been on the LA Times bestseller list for two weeks now. It's yeah. been really surreal. That's that's absolutely terrific. Like I really wish everyone would read this book. Like I I think it's fantastic. So thank you, thank so you much. for the book. Yeah, I am excited to know that there are things that you can't tell us because, you know, more to look forward to in the future. Yay, thank you. All right, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I have to end things now, I guess. That's been it for this episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. The Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. The Chimerican. And remember, kids, go read Mallory's book. It is amazing. And buy it. Don't just read it. Buy the book. Oh, you can get it at the library. Yeah, you can, which is a good thing to do. <laughs> go, yes, go to the library. The library is the most amazing place. Any library, anywhere, it is wonderful. I use the library, so please go there. Buy the book and donate it to the library. Yeah. <laughs> there, yes, you go. there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Help. Share it with others. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you so much.